You are listening to Sermon Snippets with Max Taylor, where we exposit God's Word and apply its instruction to our everyday lives. As we study God's Word, we are learning truth that corrects our thinking, meets our needs, and teaches us more about Christ. Here's your host, Max Taylor. Well, hopefully you're having a great Tuesday. We're going to pick back up in Daniel chapter 5. And this chapter describes a famous last feast that was enjoyed by the last king of Babylon. And what he experienced quickly went from a time of celebration to a time of fear. And we're going to read about that. So let's just turn to Daniel chapter 5 and start by reading verses 1 through 4. We're introduced to a new person here, a new king, and we're going to explain that a little bit as we get into this, but let's just start by reading verses 1 through 4. The Bible says, Belshazzar, the king, made a great feast to a thousand of his lords and drank wine before the thousand. Belshazzar, whilst he tasted the wine, commanded to bring the golden and silver vessels which his father Nebuchadnezzar had taken out of the temple which was in Jerusalem that the king and his princes, his wives, and his concubines might drink therein. Then they brought the golden vessels that were taken out of the temple of the house of God, which was in Jerusalem, and the king and his princes, his wives, and his concubines drank in them. They drank wine and praised the gods of gold and of silver, of brass, of iron, of wood, and of stone." So here we're going to read about this feast and the outcome of it because it's it's become well known today it's famous but not because of what it what it initially meant and what it initially represented. And really the big takeaway from this chapter is that what a person enjoys in this life is not the measure of his existence but how they view God is. So it's not how much pleasure uh, or what experiences or what possessions a person gets to enjoy in this life that is the true measure of their life. Really, it's something a lot deeper than that. It's something that you can't see. It's their view of God. That's what determines the greatness of a person's life. See, people who party it up now will be confronted with the terrifying reality of a holy God someday. And that's going to bring all of that partying, all of that, you know, ease and pleasure of this life to a reckoning. And it's going to bring judgment. It's going to end in their destruction. On the other hand, though, those who follow God, though they might not look like much in this life, maybe they do. Maybe, maybe they experience great blessing and prosperity or gain, but maybe they don't. A lot of times it's just people that are never recognized, people that are not well known, people who don't look like much in this life, but they are the truly successful ones if they follow God. So this this is a perfect time to see this lesson here in the life of Belshazzar, but let's start out with some context. We have to understand what's going on before we get into all the details of this vision that he sees with the hand writing on the wall. So when is this happening? That's the first thing we need to think about because we're here in Daniel chapter 5. We just finished chapter 4, which is when Nebuchadnezzar um, had a vision and then he went out 
And for seven years, he wasn't running his kingdom, but he was living out like a wild animal. He basically lost his mind. And then he came back and continued to rule in Babylon after he repented and after he got right with the Lord. So this chapter, chapter five, does not follow immediately after chapter four chronologically. Actually, as you'll see when you continue to read the events and the visions that are written in Daniel chapters 7 and 8 occur chronologically before what we just read in Daniel chapter 5. So before we come to this first verse of chapter 5, we got to understand that the events of chapter 7 and 8 have already happened. Chapter 7 really details Daniel's first vision that he personally receives from the Lord, and he records it in chapter 7. That basically foretells the five major world empires that are going to rule the earth. And two of them, Daniel is a part of in his own life. And then chapter eight basically is a more detailed description. And it's Daniel's second vision that he gets. And it focuses specifically on the Greek, the Seleucid, and then the still future today, Roman empires. So those three are really what Daniel's second vision is about. And that's chapter eight. But Daniel receives both of those visions before this event happens with the collapse of the Babylonian empire and the condemnation of Belshazzar. So why is chapter five right after chapter four? And there's a lot of reasons why seven and eight come later. I'll just give you a couple of those. First off, Chapter 5 here is more of a narrative, and it's talking about Babylon, talking about what happens here with King Belshazzar. It's not just a vision, even though it does contain a vision, but that's not the singular focus point. It's also not Daniel's vision that he received directly. So that's a difference. That's what chapter 7 and 8 both are. But here in chapter 5, it's more of a narrative rather than just a prophecy. Daniel's conversation with Belshazzar here in this chapter, refers to events that just happened in chapter 4 that we just read about. So when we get down in this chapter, chapter 5, we get down to verses 17 through 21, we're going to see that Daniel refers back to what happened to Nebuchadnezzar. So it's it's continuing the storyline. It's flowing from the previous narrative into this event, and he's connecting them because of topically they are related. Because really what happened to Nebuchadnezzar Belshazzar also has the same opportunity and the same invitation, but he just declines it. He rejects it. So there's a very different outcome. But we'll see that the themes are very closely related. And chapter 4 is even referenced in chapter 5. So it just flows into that. Even though it's not chronological, it is topically and contextually, um, it follows. Chapter 7 makes sense to be where Daniel wrote it, which is after being thrown in the lion's den. That's what happens in Daniel chapter 6. But it makes sense to be after that since it details the different kingdoms that Daniel interacts with, two of those, and then it also mentions three more kingdoms. So it makes sense that it would introduce all those kingdoms together after Daniel has already had some experience in both of them. And we'll see that it it makes a lot of sense with what we've already read about that Daniel eventually experiences in Persia. It makes sense why chapter 7 is after that 
um, at least in the recorded order that Daniel puts them in. Chapter 7 ends the section of the book of Daniel called the instructions to the Gentiles, okay, which is the, the part that we're in now. It's the part that's written in Arabic, um, or I'm sorry, Aramaic, ancient Aramaic is what it's written in. And so at the end of chapter 7 is the end of the Aramaic section, and this vision reaches way farther out into the future than the events in Daniel chapter 5. Chapter 5 just deals with Babylon, but chapter 7 goes all the way out to the end of time. So it makes sense that that would be the last message in that section to the Gentiles. And likewise, chapter 8 which is the beginning of that section, the final section in Daniel, God's intentions with the Jews, and it's written in Hebrew. So it just follows the entire outline of the book. It follows the flow of the book, the order that these chapters are written in. The visions of both chapters 7 and 8 reach much farther into the future than the events of chapter 5. So all that to say, there's a reason for why they are in the order that they're in, but just be mindful that we're going to study chapter 5, and then later on when we look at chapter 7 and 8, these are visions that Daniel received back when Babylon hadn't collapsed quite yet. So, who is Belshazzar? In this chapter, we're introduced to this new king, and he's described as the son of Nebuchadnezzar. However, that phrase must have been used in a technical sense since Belshazzar was not actually related to Nebuchadnezzar by blood. Uh, John Phillips suggests that the title or the, the phrase that he was the son of Nebuchadnezzar was probably court etiquette based on Belshazzar's father, whose name was Nabonidus, um, his attempts to legitimize his own reign. So we know from history that Nebuchadnezzar was succeeded by his son. His name was Evil Merodach. And then Nebuchadnezzar's grandson came to the throne after that, and his name was uh, Neraglysar Labashai Marduk. It's a very long name. But then he was put to death by a conspiracy to overtake the throne, which actually put Nabonidus on the throne. Now, it's assumed that Nabonidus was Nebuchadnezzar's son-in-law. So very interesting what happens here. Nebuchadnezzar has two descendants sit on the throne and then possibly his son-in-law overtakes the throne and then he set up his son, Belshazzar, to be his co-regent. Now there's no evidence that Belshazzar had any blood relation to Nebuchadnezzar, but he is the one who's in this chapter on the spotlight, on the hot seat, throwing this immaculate feast. Now, I do want to point out, though, that it's fascinating that for the longest time, we didn't have any other record of Belshazzar outside of the Bible. This book of prophecy in Daniel was the only place that we ever heard of the name Belshazzar until more recently in the 1800s. Archaeologists found a cylinder that has become known as the Nabonidus Cylinder when they were excavating from ancient Ur. And they found his name mentioned as being the son of Nabonidus. So this is just one of the countless instances 
where archaeology has confirmed what the Bible has said for thousands of years. So one more question about the context here. Where is Daniel when this feast is thrown? Well, he could have still been working in Babylon as a Babylonian official, but since the king in this chapter is unfamiliar with who Daniel is, a lot of commentators have suggested that maybe he had retired from that public service that he was in. Um, and it had also been years since he had served with Nebuchadnezzar, and there had been you know, different kings to come to the throne. There had also been a conspiracy that had taken over. So it's very likely that he no longer occupied his previous position. But nonetheless, the celebration was thrown, and it was a huge celebration. There was 1,000 lords of the king who were invited to this feast. And more than likely, they had wives who came with them as well. And the fact that Daniel was not invited, or at least he's not mentioned as being invited, also supports the position that he was probably retired at this point. And we're going to look at some more of the details of this feast. Next week, we'll get into what happened um, and why Belshazzar brought out these cups that had been taken from Jerusalem, from the temple of the true God, what that symbolizes. And then we're going to see what actually happened. And we have hope because our final destination, our final conclusion is known. We have the scripture. We have God's word. And so we know that our end is sure. We don't have to be as others who have no hope. We have hope that the future is clear for us. If we follow God, we can have confidence about the future. And hope is such a powerful thing. We don't have to be like this king when he hears this vision of the future and what it holds for him. And he is terrified. He's struck by fear. We don't have to be that way. Um, We can trust in God for the future and look to that for hope. Thank you for listening to Sermon Snippets. If this Bible study is a help to you, consider downloading the weekly episodes or sharing this podcast with a friend. Until next time, remember that God's Word is perfect, and it's everything you need to live for Him.